Is there really a connection between the theory of evolution and alien disclosure? We have director and producer Gary Bates on to discuss this topic from a vantage point that you'll be hard-pressed to hear from anywhere else on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, it is my extreme pleasure to have on the program with us today, Gary Bates. He is the producer of the movie Alien Intrusion, Un- Unmasking a Deception. Excuse me, director, I should say. And he well, is also- Okay, <laughs> that, that's even better. Producer and director. And he's also the author of the book with the same name, Alien Intrusion. Um, Gary, welcome to Spirit Answers Podcast. Pleasure to be here, Alex. Thank you so much for, for being here. It's it's an absolute honor. And I failed to mention as well, also the, the CEO of Creation Ministries. So we're several several hats, and um, we will be covering several different different topics today. Uh, the alien one, certainly one of them. But before we get into that, I wanted to get us started off with the topic of evolution. And it's interesting. I really appreciate in your work that you tie the topic of evolution into the alien uh, phenomena. Um, but really, as it relates to evolution, what are some of the holes that you started to uncover as it relates to this theory when you started to research this uh, theory really in depth on your own time? Yeah, well, it's just not on my own time. I'm the CEO of the U.S. office. We actually have seven offices around the world, um, and our ministry employs lots and lots of specialists, scientists with PhDs, masters, bachelor's degrees. They all got their um their degrees in the very same public universities as their evolutionary believing counterparts. And like me, uh, pretty much all our scientists were former evolutionists. Uh, so what happens really, Alex, uh, evolution, which people think is science, and let me caveat with that in scare quotes for the moment, uh, we think it's the same, same type of science that can, you know, digitally broadcast podcasts or uh, interviews like this over the internet on our laptops and whatever, um, that type of science we might call experimental or operational science where you can do experiments, see the results, uh, build upon those former results and get better and better with your technology. But when we're dealing in the past, there are really only two games in town. There are, is the view that you know there was a big bang 14 billion years ago and time and chance created everything that we see today, or that there's a creator, uh, the biblical view, as we read, obviously, in the book of Genesis. And so I think as the years have gone past, uh, evolution has been seen to be wanting. Uh, People might relegate the creation view to a religious view, but when you're looking at the past where you and I were not there to see allegedly dinosaurs evolve into birds or apes, ape-like creatures evolve into human beings, or we have our fossils, rocks, things that we find in the present today, but whether you're a creationist or an evolutionist, we make interpretations about the data we look at today based upon our presuppositions, our preconceptions. And as I said, evolution and creation are the only two views. There's lots of evidence today uh, that does not stack up with evolution theory, they might argue, well, it's always a model model that's uh, rectifying itself. But I uh, have a problem with that because we're always asked to accept it almost uncritically. And then when the goalposts move, we say, well, it's a self-correcting uh, uh, theory. 
I'll give you an example. One of the most exciting areas today is dinosaurs. Dinosaurs have kind of been the poster child for this uh, age of evolution. You know, they existed 300 and uh, uh, to 65 or 66 million years ago. But all over the world now, uh, we're finding examples of finding soft tissue in dinosaur bones, unfossilized DNA. And these things simply, I suggest, cannot last even a million years, let alone tens of millions of years. So that should blow holes in the theory based upon what we do know. Soft tissue can't last that long, but the theory of evolution is not really challenged. They'll just continue to look for ways that they think can preserve soft tissue for tens of millions of years, whereas the experimental operational method would suggest, you know, it can't last that long. So, uh, you know, some people might regard creation as a religious view, but I would suggest that actually evolution is also a, a religious view. It's based upon a philosophy or a worldview that kind of everything made itself, that there is no creator uh, or supernatural force that brought the universe into being. So our website, creation.com, there's actually over 40 years worth of creation research on there. That equates to about 15,000 articles. There are videos, movies even on there, and thousands and thousands of articles, and people can type in, what about carbon-14 dating? Or, you know, who did Cain marry, for example, if they want to know how the world could be populated originally from one man and one woman? Yeah, really cool. I, I love that. I love the idea of taking a look at, at, at Genesis and explaining how actually, you know, the, the science does does back this up. It's just so unfortunate that I think that we're, as a society, very selective in what we take the time to look at. And uh, if it challenges our, our, our preconceived notions or the notions that we've been taught, particularly in public education, I think it's very easy for us to kind of just put those pieces of evidence on a shelf and, and, and dismiss it uh, because it's very, very uncomfortable. Um, so I, yeah, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing, uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, the gen Genesis story and, uh, evolution. Uh, we can, we can't get enough of that certainly today. How then does this, uh, because I think people would be very fascinated to hear that you've been able to tie this theory of evolution to UFO research. How did you make that connection? Yeah, well, when I was working back in the Australian office, I, I remember saying to the CEO there, I was the second in charge at the time, and uh, I said, do you realise that science fiction is the number one most popular entertainment genre in the world? And it still is some 25 years later. Uh, you think about even movies like Marvel's Avengers, the, the idea that the universe is teeming with alien life. Star Trek, Star Wars, etc. cetera, uh, those creatures and aliens that have different body shapes and body forms on other planets, the underlying uh, principle of that is that in their planet's history, evolution took a different turn to what it did here on Earth. Uh, so in a 14 billion year old universe as predicated by the Big Bang, you know, there could be alien races out there that are a million or even a billion years older on the evolutionary scale than, say, human beings here on the Earth. So during that time, they've got time to develop, you know, a, a technology far in advance of ours. That's how come they can hyperspace or uh, walk drive themselves around the galaxy. And, of course, in that sense, they've also evolved quite differently. Um, so evolution, you know, is the explanation 
one explanation for how life got here on Earth, and then that's just extrapolated out to the wider universe. But you need lots and lots of time. As I said, that's why the billions of years age of the Big Bang is so crucial to the concept of alien life. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that I find fascinating uh, with your with you in your story is that you actually started on the opposite side of this. Uh, you you did at one point, I, I believe, believe in the theory of evolution. You're an advocate of it. How then did you make that transition from uh, advocate of evolution now to having a relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, also, by way of that, how did you get involved in studying the UFO phenomena? Yeah, so let me start with the last part, uh, because I said when I was working with the ministry, I, I pointed out that there was an evolutionary connection to the belief in alien life. And realizing that science fiction was so popular, I said, well, here is an opportunity to uh, connect people who might have nothing to do with Christianity but have a great belief in science fiction and UFOs, here might be a great opportunity to basically introduce the gospel to them. Now, prior to that, of course, uh, many years before, uh, yeah, I wasn't a Christian. Um, I was an advocate of evolution, but mainly because that's all I've ever been taught. And I have to say, after working nearly 13 years, 30 years in, in ministry now, um, I still find that's the same problem out there. Most people are just dismissive of the creation uh, theory, excuse me, because they've never actually heard a decent creation presentation. So our ministry, we primarily go out. We don't wait for people to kind of, as we go out, we do just in the US alone over 300 meetings a year uh, to take the message out and show people that there is evidence that the Bible can be trusted and the holds an evolutionary theory. And usually the response is just like I had, wow, I've never heard that before. Uh, as I said, it's the one view that's presented uncritically, never challenged, and uh, it really just does start to open uh, your eyes. So how did I become, uh, you know, a creationist? Well, I became a Christian first, and uh, you know, I just found the message of Christ compelling, obviously, to me personally, and uh, I confessed my sins and asked for forgiveness as uh, most people who profess faith in Christ did. But um, it didn't mean I was automatically a believer in creation. Because I was an evolutionist, I, I went to work on the Bible as a young Christian, not really realizing the potential damage I was doing to my faith and to the integrity of Scripture because I was starting to reinterpret the days in Genesis. You know, maybe they could be billions of years each, still a popular view today. Um, and so... The minute that I started deconstructing Genesis, I looked back and it led me on a path to deconstructing miracles because scientifically <laughs> men don't rise from the dead, right? And so I started to come up with excuses about, you know, how Christ may have been resuscitated or something like that. And, of course, the Apostle Paul writes, if Christ is not crucified and raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. It's kind of foolishness. Uh, so fortunately I got exposed to... Um, some creation teaching early on and the very very first meeting I went to uh, showed that due to what we call catastrophism volcanoes earthquakes that the geologic layers that we see around the world I'm talking about thousands and thousands of meters of rock layers sedimentary layers could be laid down very very rapidly as a result of um, 
mass or rapid geologic events. And that started a trickle effect because it started to reduce the time frame of millions of years to these things like the Grand Canyon, for example, where you see, you know, hundreds of millions of layers. So they assume you're looking at hundreds of millions of years of Earth's history. But in uh, Washington State in 1980, when Mount St. Helens exploded, we saw many versions of these sedimentary layers and bands of strata being laid down in hours, not taking thousands of years for the very same things you might look at and say, you know, in the, in the future and say, well, there's thousands of layers. It must have taken thousands of years to lay it down. And so once all of the millions of years uh, started to unravel, then I realized there was actually no time for evolution to happen. Evolution requires millions of years. And if there is no millions of years, there's no evolution. And that's why creationists are so uh, dogmatic, if you like, about the time frames given in Scripture. And to a lot of people, even Christians, that's where they struggle the most. The biggest disconnect is, well, hang on, they say the universe is 4.5 billion years old, and you're saying that the Bible teaches creation and only thousands of years ago. Most people don't know where the millions of years comes from. It comes from an interpretation of the world's geology. If that geology can be laid down quickly, as I said, there's no millions of years. And, of course, the Bible describes uh, an eyewitness event where the world's geology was completely transformed uh, in one year, and that is the global flood of Noah's time. So, you know, Noah's flood is the great time cruncher, and if it crunches all that time down, as I said, um, then evolution doesn't have millions of years uh, to take place. So that was the process that started me off, and once I realised that, I was pretty excited and uh, got involved with creation ministry as a volunteer uh, until I was invited to join them full time many years ago. Yeah, that's that's. I really appreciate what you said as it relates to uh, turning the 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 twenty four hour day cycle into thousands of years, and then all of a sudden that kind of was a slippery slope for you to start maybe doubting some of the miracles. Because one of the things that I've realized with Christianity and the Bible is that it seems like more often than not, I would say almost every time actually, it's 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 the simplest explanation. I think that God is always wanting us. To, he he's he's never making it overly complicated. I think the the beauty of the bible and god's word is that usually it's the most simple explanation that is the correct explanation and i think that as soon as you start to overthink things and overanalyze things that uh it's a slippery slope into human wisdom as as, as i like to call it or i think paul, paul alludes to that several times as well in the new testament where you can start to kind of uh you know bend certain things and, and uh, certain evidence to, to match your reality or or your worldview i think subconsciously a lot of times you you don't even realize you're doing it. Uh, but I think that if you just let the text speak for itself and uh, uh, you present it that way, I think that that is, it, it, it makes the most sense because pretty soon if you start taking the text here and Genesis and twisting a little bit, but over here and, and somewhere in the new Testament, you keep it the same. It's like all of a sudden there's all these inconsistencies uh, that one person comes up with, but then uh, maybe another person, uh, you know, across the globe, doesn't see it that way because you've taken something even, like I said, maybe even subconsciously and kind of twisted it to match your worldview. So I think that if you can have that awareness and let the text speak for itself, uh, I think that that is the way that God intended for it to be. It's, I think God's way is simple and uh, humans really like to make things overly complex, unfortunately. Uh, well, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, if the Bible is God's word, it's got to be authoritative. 
what we don't realize we do, and the reality is most Christians, and I mean most of us, including myself, we've all been educated in the public realm. So we've all been taught, let's go back to the beginning, evolution as a scientific fact. And we think that science is authoritative, but without realizing that people, human beings, interpret scientific data according to their worldview. So what the creationist does is he interprets the same data according to his biblical worldview. Um, so, yes, that's why we try to put those millions of years in Scripture. But you mentioned elsewhere it causes problems. I mean, there are over 100 references to the book of Genesis in the New Testament, and specifically Genesis 1 of 11, which is talking about creation, the fall, the flood, uh, the Tower of Babel. There are 60 references, including the Lord Jesus referencing a literal Adam and Eve, a literal global flood on 16 occasions. So for Christians, if he is the saviour and, and God incarnate and we start to doubt him, then, you know, as some uh, scientific Christian ministry say today, like Biologos, who are very popular here in the US, they say that Jesus was making mistakes because he was in human form and laid aside his divinity. That's known as the canonic heresy, uh, something we were fighting against in the Middle Ages. So, yes, it causes all sorts of problems. And just on that point, you know, we are not anti-science. That's why I made the point about saying that all of our guys have got PhDs. They, they understand evolution. They've been taught about it. Um, we're not taking the Bible in spite of science. We're taking the Bible as a lens or a worldview filter for interpreting the world around us. But the evolutionist does exactly the same, uh, the same thing. Talk about those days in Genesis. Why can't they be billions of years? Well, if you looked at the order... You know, I said earlier that dinosaurs evolved into birds, but in the creation account, you have the flying creatures, which includes birds made on day five and land animals and man on day six. So in the Bible's account, birds preceded dinosaurs. And in the evolutionary view, you've got dinosaurs coming before birds. On day three, God made plants. And on day four, he made the sun. Uh, how could the plants survive for a billion years until the sun is not made on day four? And by the way, when I say that, people would say, aha, hang on, the sun's made on day four, but on day one, God said, let there be light. That's correct. That's what the Bible says. But you don't need to have a sun as a light source for the earth because God was the light. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us that in the new heavens and earth, there'll be no sun, moon or stars for the lamb will be the light. So God is somehow, it would appear supernaturally projecting light upon the new earth. Of course, that's all he had to do on day one. A rotation of the earth with a light cycle, a light source, uh, gives us the day-night cycle. So anyway, there's more I can say there. But people go to creation.com. They can type in questions like, well, how could there be light before the sun was created on day four, etc." But just a point that the biblical order of events does not also fit the evolutionary appearance of these things. So there's just no way really to make the two reconcile. Looking at your work that you've done more recently, uh, Alien Intrusion, both the book and the movie, um, I, I, I love it because you do an excellent job of reaching out to people that are not maybe from a Judeo-Christian background. I think you you found a way to make uh, your work accessible, and I think that that's something unfortunate that, that can be lost by many people, uh, and by many Christians when they're trying to outreach to you know people that don't have Christ. So two things. One, how did this uh, incredible project come about, the book and then the movie? 
And two, what have you learned uh, in the process of creating both the book and movie uh, as it relates to reaching out to, to those that are not from a Christian background? How did you, how, what's the, what have you found out that is important to make things accessible to, to people like that? Well, when you start to deeply or genuinely research the UFO phenomenon, as I did, um, I got more than I bargained for. So I was a, a, a lay science fiction fan. Uh, you know, I'd read kind of the leading science fiction books, so certainly I had an interest there. And I, as I said earlier, I realized there was an evolutionary connection. But when you start attending UFO conferences and start reading some of the literature from the movers and shakers in there, there was a much, much more serious aspect to it. Uh, not only were people claiming to see things, but in recent years, there was the escalation in what they would call alien abduction. So these are people who are being uh, mentally, uh, physically, and I came to the conclusion, spiritually afflicted uh, by this phenomenon. And by and large, the majority of people who fall into this camp are non-Christians. So how do you, you know, how are you going to reach this particular group of people that needed to be reached, needed to have answers to it. And so I had to make sure that when I was writing, I was writing in, in particularly in the early stages of the book from a more neutral aspect. In other words, I was trying to create, you know, like an onion, a scenario, and then just uh, diligently um, and factually just showing what didn't stick up to try to unpeel the layers until we could get to the, the basis of, uh, of what it was. And the big surprise, the big surprise I had is when the book came out and particularly when I started lecturing on it, um, you know, people would turn up at churches who were not Christians because they'd see the sign outside, you know, Gary Bates, alien, aliens, UFOs and the Bible speaking tonight at 6 p.m. And I could see them sitting, you know, in the corner of a church away from people. And I suppose one of the pleasing things is, uh, is they would often come up to me after and they would say things like, well, you're one of the few peoples I've heard speak about this that actually understands what I went through. Because, and I have to urge a caution here, and I, I don't like to say things that are critical of the church, and I'll caveat because one of the problems, and we pointed this out in the movie, is that these people are isolated by their experience. Even people who've seen stuff in the sky, they don't know who to talk to. You know, and if you think you've been abducted by aliens and taken on some galactic tour and, and you know, have undergone, um, you know, sexual violation on board a spaceship, which is what a lot of them thinks, think happens to them, it's not exactly the type of stuff you could talk around the, uh, the water cooler at work the next day. And so people become withdrawn. They often don't talk to anybody and therefore they don't get any closure on it. So when they hear somebody speak about it, uh, that, if you like, has a, a bit more of an empathetic tone, um, you know, it leads to greater conversations to explain what's happening to them. And our, what we tend to do, and all groups do this, the Christians do it, the, the skeptics do it, we've already made up our mind about what it is. You know, well, you're demonically oppressed. Let me tell you what needs to happen. But if I'm an experiencer, uh, we don't call them abductees, obviously, with their experiencer, and I meet someone like that, then, in a sense, you're automatically dismissing or invalidating my experience. 
And as we showed in the movie with, with Guy Malone, who's a former experiencer and who runs an outreach uh, in Roswell, New Mexico, he said in, in the Alien Intrusion movie, he says, well, what happens is they'll just turn around and they'll go off to one of these hundreds of hundreds of UFO research centers or clinics or groups that we have in the country, around the country in the US, and they say, hey, you know, come on in, we're welcome. We've got people just like you with us. And they, they get embraced and then there's a sense of community. And of course, that only drives them deeper into the, the spiritual deception that's going on. So, you know, that's something I, ha I had to learn myself because being in creation, you know, we do get bombarded and challenged all the time. I sit on a plane driving out or flying out to an event and somebody hears my Australian accent and asks why I'm in the US and I tell them I work for Creation Ministries International and I suddenly start getting questions about ape men and dinosaurs and all sorts of stuff. And so I'm very, very used to being proactive and coming up with answers. But when I meet abductees, and this is the advice I would have to all out there, we need to listen. In fact, I often joke, I say there's three things you need to do. Listen, listen, and listen. And you need to let that person share their experience because when I find they share the experience, the experience can be real, but it's what they're often told about the experience. These entities they meet, you know, they're told that the aliens are their creators and they're from the Pleiades. And then you meet another abductee and their um, aliens have visited them, they're they're from Zeta Reticuli, and they claim there are creators. And I learned very early on there's a very, very disparate amount of messages and they can't all be correct, right? Either only one of them can be telling the truth or none of them are telling the truth. And so I found that it was actually in the stories that these people were getting where I could pick apart, uh, you know, the validity uh, of the experience, so not to deny the experience, but whether the experience was actually truthful in terms of what they've been told. And, you know, if somebody wants to look, you know, there are hundreds of UFO experiences books out there. And while the, for want of a better term, uh, the morphology of them or the symptoms and the patterns that the actual experience follows are similar, what you'll often find it's the things that they're told um, you know, are very, very disconnected from each other. And as I said, they can't all be right or either we're getting visited by thousands and thousands of different uh, alien beings every year. But if that's the case, then why are they openly lying to us? Hmm. Makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, what you said there also reminds me several times, you know, I, I've spoken to people that had at one point in their lives consulted with so-called spirit guides and, you know, as believers in Christ, we we know what those are. They're not spirit guides. They're actually of demonic origin. And it was the same thing. And that was and that was really what uh, keyed me into Christ and, and truth that is found in the word of God, which is that a lot of these spirit guides, these quote spirit guides are giving out information that don't the, the, the information does not align with each other. Um, and, uh, you know, like you like you were saying, as it relates to, to these Pleiadians and, and different uh, quote aliens. Um, some, something, I think that's a huge, huge red flag. And unfortunately, I think something that is really, uh, underplayed by many people that are still of the belief that these are, uh, of nut, nuts and bolts origin. Um, there is, there's something, there's, there's a lot of contradict, a lot of contradictions going on here and we haven't even gotten to 
probably the most uh, convincing piece of evidence, which I'm sure like your like Joe Jordan, who we've had the privilege of having on this program as well. I'm sure that it was just incredible for you to find out when you were doing doing your research that these beings flee uh, in the in saying the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, uh, like Joe, once uh, once the movie and the book came out, oh, well, in Joe's case, of course, it was re reported in the Florida Today newspaper, and Joe at that time himself was not a Christian. Himself and his colleague, Wes Clark, were not Christians, um, but they found that there was this pattern. Um, I came across their research, and I started to, you know, obviously uh, uh, build upon that. Uh, and it's the same. I mean, since it's come out, I've just received emails, testimonies, phone calls. People come up to me at events um, and tell me their stories of how uh, it stopped in the name of Christ. Uh, and, you know, initially we thought that um, it was, you know, Joe used the term, of course, it was the not just the talk, the talk Christians, but the walk, the walk Christians that were generally not being affected. We've kind of refined that a little bit. Some Christians we believe, you know, that probably started out as true believers, backslid, opened the door uh, to, um, you know, possibly occultic uh, practices. Um, you know, what's very interesting in that, Alex, again, when we talk in these terms about the supernatural or the occult, people would tend to think, well, that's a typical Christian thing that you guys would look for. If people want to grab a copy of, of my book, Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection, I've got secular researchers uh, in there. Richard McNally, for example, um, a professed atheist and speaks at atheist conferences around the world. He said he, when he was looking at abductees, he started to see that uh, many of them had um, dabbled or had pre-existing beliefs in new age type things, etc. And of course, in the movie, we've got an incredible interview uh, that we... Uh, we, we talk a bit of, it wasn't an interview with us, but with an interview with another psychiatrist, Dr. John Mack, uh, deceased now, but he wrote the book uh, Abductions, former Pulitzer Prize winner and former professor of Harvard Medical School. And he's being interviewed and he uses the term, he says, what we are dealing with is spirit beings coming over from another realm or dimension, kind of, you know, doing these rape-like practices, and then he, he tried to pull back from that, but he said it was like an intervention. He said that these spirit beings are entering our realm, and, you know, I just about fell off my seat when I when I heard him say that because, you know, the interesting thing is people like Joe and I have been researching this for 20 years or so, and the original view, which we see in science fiction, is that these advanced extraterrestrials are flying in their hyperdrive spaceships visiting the Earth. Respectfully, we, we kind of know that's not the case. Sci the, what we know about science doesn't allow it. And 80 years worth of watching these, you know, even from the government's point of view, shows that they change shape. They defy the laws of physics. It's not just advanced technology. You, you can't kind of fly objects into each other at 7,000 miles an hour and become one object and do a right angle turn and then go off in the other direction of dimension, uh, direction, I'm sorry. They appear and they disappear from radar. So even the government looking at them, and of course, quite recently, there was a report released um, and they were not discounting the idea that they might be extraterrestrial, but they've certainly 
uh, now are supporting the idea that we're dealing something that is interdimensional dimensional, and does not represent an advanced form of technology. So we've always said this because the Bible has always said there's a spirit realm or a spiritual dimension. And, you know, in the early days, we would get attacked and say, oh, well, you Christians are trying to shoehorn it into your Christian worldview and deal with the supernatural. Well, hold on. <laughs> it's not us that's saying that now. Uh, it's, in fact, the secular guys, after looking at the actual evidence, after all of these years, are saying this is something intangible or not of this world, and it coexists with us. This is what people like Dr. J. Allen Hynek found, Jacques Vallée, and so the secular community is kind of caught up, I believe, to what we've been saying all this time. And I could summarise it by kind of saying that the Christian researcher and the secular researcher, we would agree now about majorly, there's always going to be a few dissenters, but we would majorly agree about the nature of the phenomenon. What we would disagree with is perhaps its origin. We believe it's spiritual, it's evil, uh, demonic in some sense. They would just say, well, you know, hey, perhaps they don't say please on Pleiades when they abduct people on board a spaceship and, you know, rectally probe them with blunt instruments. You know, I always made the point that if they're that advanced, how come they're not using tricorders like you know, Dr. McCoy does on Star Trek or something. <laughs> There's a couple of things that come from what you that, what you mentioned there um, that I would like to ask as it relates to people's experiences. And I have an idea of what I think that your, your answers are going to be. But just uh, for the sake of uh, other people out there that are, that are listening that might not know um, the nature of these questions, the answers to these questions, I want to go ahead and ask you them. Uh, the first one being, you, you mentioned a few times that yourself and myself uh, as being creationists uh, might view this phenomena differently as opposed to someone from the secular realm. However, has any of your research or any of the uh, anecdotes that you've had uh, from your interviews that you've had with some of these experiencers and these uh, quote abductees, has any of it lent any credence to there being any nuts and bolts uh craft out there any physical craft or do you believe that this is purely all from a spiritual origin well i clearly believe it's all from a spiritual origin in terms of how it manifests i think we uh we we like to have good answers i think that is an area that we cannot definitely ascertain what i would say uh is that what we know about the spiritual realm from scripture is that the entities, uh, angels, fallen angels and good angels can manifest physically. We've only got to read back in the book of Genesis uh, at the events of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot angels appeared and they were so um, realistic. Men wanted to have, the evil Sodomites wanted to have sex with them. We've got the account of the manifestation of the three visitors with Abraham. Now, they sat there and they ate food. So did they have stomach organs and digestive tracts, for example? Uh, another account we could think of is uh, Moses and Aaron presenting themselves before Pharaoh. And I often ask Christians about this, and I say, well, it says Aaron threw down his staff and it became a snake. We have no problem with God being able to do that. And then I say, well, the conjurers threw down their 
you know, piece of wood, their staff, what happened? And they often they'll say, well, it was an illusion. But I say, hang on, it says Aaron's snake ate their snake. All right, so it somehow manifested physically. So, you know, what I think is in our space-time dimension that you and I live in, this three-dimensional world, is that we are limited physically. But if we go back to the creation account, Adam obviously was created to be physically an eternal being due to the fall and the curse God shortened his days. But we read in the future that humans, are, we're going to be transformed, it says, in the twinkling of an eye from perishable to imperishable. Perishable I take as being some sort of form as I do imperishable to some sort of physical form but not perishable. And so I think when we think about the spiritual realm or the angelic realm, that it, in fact it is somehow physical and spiritual. I think one of the problems is, is as Christians, when we tend to think of the word spiritual, we think about uh, ghostly or somehow vaporous or ethereal. But of course the Bible describes us as spiritual beings right now, but we're also physical. So I don't think the spiritual is the sum of, of what we are, and it might not be the sum of what angels are, but part of what we are. So the reason I go through all that is to say, well, when it comes to deceptive experiences, um, I think most of it is illusory. Uh, I don't think they're building real nuts and bolts flying saucers. I think that is illusory. But at the same time, we know that angels can physically affect our environment. An account of um, tens of thousands of Assyrian soldiers being killed by uh, one of God's angels. Of course, God's good angel, the destroyer in uh, in the book of Exodus, describes killing the firstborn in all of Egypt. There are the plagues that are brought upon it. So God's agents in this respect often are angels, and they can you know affect our environment and our world. So why could not fallen angels? Uh, do the same things. So there's an article on our website, if people are interested, if they go to creation.com and type in, can spirits manifest physically? I've actually uh, written about this at some length. What I'd say is that we know it can happen. Uh, how it can happen? Well, guess what? I can't go to that realm and empirically test it. What we do know is that angels can go from their realm to ours and back, but of course, we don't have uh, that benefit or that privilege. So we do see through a glass pretty darkly there. The other question I had for you relates to uh, women who appear to have their uh, uh, pregnancies uh, manipulated. It appears that the, the babies that are in the in the womb of the body are taken from them by these alien, quote, alien entities. What has your research shown as it relates to these experiences? And do you believe that uh, there is actual, um, uh, are, are babies in the womb actually being taken here? Yeah, um, not at all. In fact, there are stories where pe women claim that they're abducted on a regular basis just for the purpose of being taken up into the spaceship and, uh, and breastfeeding these half alien, half human hybrids but whenever they're taken back to Earth, they're, they're showing no evidence of lactating or anything. 
And I know when people hear this, it sounds very, very dismissive, but there is no physical evidence of the same. But if you tried to say that to someone having the experience, they will strongly deny it. And this leads me to another area because when the first uh, editions of my book came out, there was still an area that I was unsure of, and that was if people are really not being transformed and, you know, almost like Star Trek, uh, you know, trans transformed into some uh, vaporous element and transported onto a ship, uh, you know, like they do on Star Trek, being beamed up or something like that, having to go through physical objects. Uh, but that when they get on the ship, they have all of these very, very detailed and ornate descriptions of the inside of a ship. They're laying on the cold steel bench. They have a sense of feeling all the probes and things that are done to them. And in the same way, they physically have felt like they're carrying a baby uh, or physically felt like they're breastfeeding. That that uh, I had my suspicions when the early editions of the book came out, but again, what happened through all the people that were contacting me, I was able to use it as a bit of a test bed of research to ask questions about it. And I believe the answer lies in hypnosis. And uh, this is a, an area where, you know, Christians, we have a knee jerk reaction and say, well, it's evil and so on. And certainly it can be used for that. But the, Again, you said the simplest answers are the best. There are human practitioners that uh, can very, very easily subliminally supplant messages to people on stage. Uh, robbers do it on the streets, get people to easily hand over their wallet. And this is an area I started to research uh, for a later edition and actually made a new chapter in my book. And quite simply, human beings today, and I'm not talking about the stage, you know, waving a watch, it's literally grabbing hold of you, getting focus, using things like instant abduction, inductions. Uh, you can actually supplant messages so strongly that the recipient, their imagination fills in the blanks. You might supplant A, C, and E, and they've got it filled in B and D to accommodate the suggestion. And I've seen lots and lots of examples uh, of this now. And once your imagination, once your mind uh, accommodates them, you cannot actually even distinguish them from fiction or fantasy anymore. Once your body accepts them, they're real. You can have, you know, a feeling of the physical sensation of those things happening to you when you recall them. It's a very, very difficult area because people that have had these, and I've explained it to them, they say, absolutely no way. This really, really happened to me. I felt it. I knew about it. And in some cases, these supernatural entities will leave markings and scra scratches, you know, to show that they've somehow been physically uh, interfered with. But um, people have only got to look on YouTube and type in people like Darren Brown, uh, a British hypnotist who's an atheist, a skeptic. There's nothing spiritual about what he does. Um, the experts say it's a poorly set, understood, um, you know, set of mind phenomena. But what I do know is it can be done uh, very, very easily to people. I've seen people have their childhood memories altered as a result of uh, hypnotic practices. And when you even tell them that that didn't happen in their childhood and that message was only implanted a few minutes ago, they actively resist it. 
And this is what the world's leading uh, practitioners of it will tell you about it. So again, this is not some made-up story uh, that I'm coming up with to kind of fill in fill in the blanks. So let me summarise. We're talking about evil angels coming and interfering with people, masquerading as a aliens. And you would know this, Alex, the, the most common characteristic of people with their abduction experience is something called missing time. The first guy to write about this in his book was one of the most world's famous uh, abduction researchers, Bud Hopkins, and he wrote a whole book called Missing Time. So people would be driving a car or they're in their room at night and they'd see a light or they'd see what they thought was an alien entity. They, the clock on the dashboard of the car said, you know, 10 p.m. And then to them, one second later, it, it was now 1 a.m. in the morning. Where's that three hours gone? They had no recollection of that missing time until they went to a UFO research centre. They, again, they were hypnotised to try and remember these lost memories. It's called hypnotic regression. And then under them, and you can, and you can watch lots of videos on this, while they recall under hypnosis, being on a spaceship, having all of these procedures uh, done to them. And uh, just before I hand back to you, I'll, I'll explain how this can be done. So when you and I went to bed last night and we slept, you know, we were in some sort of, for want of a better term, subconscious state. But when you wake up in the morning, you have at least the sensation that time has passed, even though you were asleep. Um, if anybody's watching and they've ever had surgery, uh, and I've had a few, you know, I'm waiting there and they, they inject you with the anesthetic and they say count to 10 and you get to three or four if you're lucky. And then one second later, it seems like there's this contraction of time. You're in the recovery room and you wake up and you say, have they started yet? And they say, no, no, we finished an hour ago. We've been waiting for you to wake up. It's like one second passed. And so that can be done through anesthetic. And the other way people record having that same experience, guess what, is through hypnosis. When they're hypnotized, uh, to them, when they're brought out of it, it's like one second later, no time has passed, and all sorts of weird stuff can be done. It can suppress even your physical responses to things. Stage hypnotists have had people eat raw onions on the stage, and, and they've been describing it as eating a delicious apple, the power of suggestion is incredibly uh, strong in terms of getting people to, you know, even put off or delay their own natural human responses or instincts to certain things. It's, it's pretty scary, but basically I think that's what's happening to people during their alleged abduction experience is they're just being told about what happened to them and the mind, the imagination fills in the blanks to accommodate the suggestion. Well, I, I, that's fascinating. I had never heard that uh, explanation given. It makes a lot of sense to me. I want to take it back real quick to what you had said earlier that um, you've had or you understand. Um, I don't know if you've had any, any any interactions with this person, but you stated that there was a secular researcher who had called these beings spirit beings. And I want to highlight just how incredible that is. What a what a step that is um, for someone of a secular background to state that. And I bring that up because when I look at um, your work and, and Joe Jordan's work of CE4 research, and I see the, you know, the incredible amount of time that you put into this, the incredible research that you guys have done from a scientific perspective, and uh, I think the evidence speaks very clearly for itself. 
And yet in, in this in this country, uh, a country that I think in, in the United States I'm talking about, that we, you know, advocate for ourselves so much as being so scientifically scientific, uh, so, yeah, scientifically minded and uh, so much of science and, and proper research, there tends to be certain subjects such as this one that we kind of put off to the side and, and dismiss. And uh, so what I'm wondering is that um, how how is it that we can continue to get research such as yours or, or Joe's out there in front of people like this? Do you think it's a matter of getting it in front of more people or do you think it's just a matter of there are certain subjects that are untouchable, especially especially by those in the secular community? And why do you think that is? Yeah, well, you can look at creation versus evolution. As I said, evolution is the uh, the main game and creation is never giving a fair hearing. A lot of Christians say, well, we should have creation taught in schools, but there's a problem with that. Who's going to teach it? You know, the secular geology teacher or the secular biology teacher. So first things, it's up to us as Christians to be a little more discerning and make sure that we prepare our young ones uh, to go out into the world and make disciples for Christ. And the only way we're going to do that is by embracing the subjects that, like evolution, for example, and show people that there are holes in it, that stops them coming to Christ. But there's such a resistance to that because if evolution's not true, well, what's the only alternative? Uh, creation, that means the Bible might be true. That's why when I mentioned the flood as a mechanism to explain the world's geology, it's an absolutely no-go area, even though in the world today we now recognise that catastrophism can do an incredible amount of geologic work in a short period of time. Because if we say, well, hang on, maybe the global flood of Noah's time might be true, that means the Bible might be recording real history. If the Bible records real history, maybe Genesis 1 is true, God made the heavens and the earth. Now, we don't come to faith as a result of scientific evidence. Bible says, you know, if you uh, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's the criterion. But um, in the same way with the UFO phenomenon, even though all the evidence now, and it's much stronger in this area in some respects, um, you know, Trump in his last COVID bill before, uh, before he lost the election said that in July this year, 2021, um, they had to, uh, the military had to produce a report uh, on a summary on investigating UFOs. So this was actually the first time in all of these years that the US government had openly recognised that something is going on. The military started to release footage of, of uh, tracking these objects, incredible sightings of them even descending straight into the water without slowing down. And this is something I'd actually been predicting for years because anybody who seriously researches knows that the government knows about these things. Uh, and we've had Project Sign, Grudge. We've had the uh, uh, Project Blue Book. We've had the Condon Report. So the government has been investigating for a long time, but they've always said, don't worry about it. There's nothing to worry about. They mainly can be explained as naturalistic or man-made objects. This was the first time the government seemed to openly admit that there was something they couldn't explain. I predicted that they wouldn't come right out and say, yes, we're being visited by extraterrestrials. They invested 100, 
uh, investigated 140 cases and they've said, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that they seem to defy any technical technological uh, understanding that at least we have, but they certainly seem to be as if they're guided intelligently. And what they didn't do is they didn't discount the fact that it might be extraterrestrial, which is what they've done in the past. They've kind of left the door open. And the reason I say I predicted that, I think it would be just a leap too far to go from denial, denial, denial to, oh, yes, we're being visited by extraterrestrials. Now, I predict that they will say that sometime in the future simply because, and there's the long-winded answer to your question, the government doesn't openly recognise the existence of the supernatural. They're constrained to interpret everything within a naturalistic worldview, and as weird as it seems, invoking unseen aliens from another dimension would be interpreted or viewed as a naturalistic interpretation of the phenomena because it's based on evolution, uh, etc. You know, there must be aliens out there who are more advanced, etc. in other worlds. So, yeah, that's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think in the future Christians uh, need to prepare themselves that the government might openly announce that uh, they think what they're dealing with is a, an extraterrestrial technology or life form that's interdimensional coming to us and uh, simply because they don't have a better explanation for it, but it is guided intelligently. No, I appreciate, I appreciate all the information that you're, you're providing us. So no, no problem. I want to get to your work uh, that you're doing and that you have done with creation ministries here in just a second. But before we get to that, one more, one more question as it relates to the uh, alien and UFO phenomena. I want to take it to the flip side now. Uh, we also consider ourselves here in the United States a Christian nation. And uh, unfortunately, I still see this topic as it relates to aliens, UFOs, um, as something of a very uh, a fringe topic. And it's unfortunate because, it, it, as we've alluded to several times here, it's certain, the, the evidence certainly seems to back up that this is of a spiritual and demonic origin. So, um, you know, I, I'm wondering, is there any way that this we can present this more, uh, this topic into the mainstream of, of, of Christianity? And is there any way that we could get this um, maybe more covered by by churches and, and, and maybe your lay Christian, so to speak? And I, I understand that I, I've heard other people say, well, you know, pastors have so much going on in their plates that it'd be hard for them to start bringing these topics uh, up into, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings. And I, and I get where those people are coming from. I'm just wondering, is there a, is, I guess, is there a compromise somewhere? Can we bring this into the mainstream of Christianity in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, again, it might be a bridge too far for some pastors to take on the subject, but actually it's the same with creation evolution. Any, anyway, there's so much information uh, to try to weed through, but that's why ministries like ourselves exist. Uh, we make all the bullets, if you like, for churches and for Christians to fire. We have hundreds and hundreds of resources, books, DVDs, and what we allowed with the Alien Intrusion movie was for churches to be able to screen it. Uh, they can go to alienintrusion.com. We have posters that they can print, uh, bulletin inserts, leaflets that they can hand out, and lots of churches, hundreds of them, used it as an outreach to try to bring uh, non-Christians uh, into the church. And, you know, when you think about people like NASA uh, and SETI, um, they've long realised that to get public funding, they have to do projects that match public interest. 
Well, in some respects, I would say as a church, we also have to try to tap the culture where it's at and to show how the Bible does connect to all of reality. So we're talking about a weird subject like UFOs and aliens. Well, guess what? We can answer that from a biblical perspective as well. We have answers in that area. So, yes, some ridicule it. I mean, very few. I mean, I've had a couple of emails over the years to say, oh, leave the subject alone. Why are you going there? And I usually push back and say, well, that tells me you've never spoken to a 15-year-old high school student because go and ask kids what they think when they're, you know, living on a, uh, a diet of science fiction and, uh, you know, Marvel movies, etc. cetera. Um, so I've generally found when I can talk to people about it, particularly churches, I say to them, well, look, you know, we profess to be Christians, Bible believers, and the Bible spends a lot of time talking about the spiritual realm. You know, we're not generally, for want of a better term, dwelling in that realm or being afflicted spirit spiritually because we are sanctified, we're saved and relatively protected by the blood of Christ. But for somebody who's never been in a church, they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, They've got a pre-belief that, well, of course there's aliens out there. Why would the universe be so big? By the way, that's something Christians often think too. Um, then they are open. They're more prone to deception. You know, Alex, if a little grey entity stood at the bottom of our bed in the middle of the night and said, hey, I've come from, you know, Zeta Reticuli or Sirius and I've chosen you and you're special and I've got a mission for you, which is what people hear, you and I, are all already more spiritually aware and spiritually discerning, and you probably know where it comes from. But somebody who does not know the Bible, does not understand there's a spiritual uh, aspect to our existence, they're taken in by it. And for them, it can be a life-changing experience, as we have to remember. In the same way that Christians have had an experience, an encounter with Christ, if, if you like, and have become born again, people are having life-changing experiences from a demonic source. So we need to be able to explain and understand as Christians, there is this spiritual reality reality going on around us all over the place. And these people are very, very hard to meet. But as I said earlier, when you can show and you can listen to their experiences and say, well, look, can I, can I show you a different interpretation of that? Can I show you what might be happening? Because you mentioned even in the areas you've uh, spoken about and, and, you know, obviously interviewed people on your show in, in other spiritual encounters, the stories are not always straight. And so it's very, very easy to point out, you know, if somebody lies to you, um, they're a liar. Why would you want to trust them? You're telling me that they come millions of light years across the universe and have chosen you in the middle of the night to come to tell you things that we can demonstrably show are not true. Yes, I understand. I believe you had the experience, but why would you want to trust that? Isn't Shouldn't that tell you something? And again, people don't have to believe me. All the secular researchers, we've got even Nick Redfern, who's written over 40 books on these types of topics. And in the movie, he openly says these things are deceitful. He said they are masking as aliens when they are entirely something else. You know, why Why is it they can travel all these distances and they can live in our atmosphere? And he's got all of these incredible um, caveat-defying, or not caveat-defying, but caveats to the idea that they are really extraterrestrials. So, 
you know, got to deal with the evidence in front of us and recognize as Christians that there's lots and lots of people who are having these experiences and other spiritual experiences all around us because they do not have protection in the name of Christ. You've alluded to it a few times as we've spoken today. Uh, you are also, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, the CEO of Creation Ministries. So can you tell us a little bit more about them and, and what you're doing for them right now? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, we occasionally make movies that uh, get aired in cinemas all around the world, like uh, Alien Effusion. The one we made before that was called Evolution's Achilles Heels, where we amassed 15 PhD scientists dealing with kind of the icons of evolution, you know, radiometric dating, cosmology, genetics. And what we were saying, well, if evolution is true, it predicts this, this is what we should be seeing. And we show how time and time again, um, it failed. Uh, but, you know, the lead article on our website, the front page changes every single day on creation.com. As I said, there's over 15,000 articles on there. Our ministry has been going for over 40 years. We've got offices in the UK, South Africa, Canada, US, New Zealand, Australia, and Singapore. Um, so we're a worldwide organization. We have a great collaboration with lots of specialists all over the world. And we primarily go to speak in churches because as Christians, we found this is where the biggest stumbling blocks to people believing in the very, very earlier chapters of Genesis are. And so we're not going to be really effective witnessing or sharing our faith, you know, when the skeptic turns around to you and says, well, hang on, the Bible says that, you know, God created a few thousand years, 6,000 years ago, and it's 624 hour days. And I turn around and say, oh, yeah, but you don't have to believe that, but believe that Jesus rose from the dead, right? So, you know, we're not going to be effective. And a few years ago, um, uh, I took a, a small film crew and I went on to college campuses uh, in the South. We, our office here is in Atlanta. And we interviewed hundreds of students. And we only asked four questions uh, when we were interviewing these students on campus. And as they walked past, the first one was, I said, uh, were you raised in the church or not? Obviously going to get a lot more in the South and other parts of the US. And if they said no, we, we let them move on. I only wanted these young people who said they were raised in the church. And the second question of these kids who said they were raised in the church, I said, evolution or creation, what's true? That's all I wanted an answer for. And out of the hundreds of students we surveyed, only five of them, kids raised in the church, said they still believed in biblical creation. Wow. So the next question, I said, when you were at the church, when you were in church, did your parents, leaders, pastors, anybody ever show you the wealth of evidence to show, you know, that biblical creation might be true? Every single student who said they were raised in the church but now believed in evolution, every single one said they'd never been shown anything. And the five students who said they still believed in biblical creation, every one of them said they had been shown something. Mm. Now, I knew the results, to be honest. I was going to get Alex because I've been doing it a long time, even before I stepped onto the foot of those campuses. The last question we asked was, do you still attend church? And all those students who were raised in the church but now believed in evolution, except for one young man, and we kind of put him in the video to show we were not stacking the deck, no longer attends church today. So creation evolution, people don't realize it's not just about science. It's about the belief about where we came from. And that one question is key to developing a person's worldview. 
I often put it this way, you know, those three big questions we talk about in the church and outside the church, that where we come from, why are we here, what's our meaning and purpose to life, and what happens to us when we die? Well, if evolution's true, question one, there is no meaning and purpose to life, right? You and I are just a giant cosmic accident. And question three, there's no life after death. You die, that's it. But if the Bible's true, obviously we were created with meaning and purpose in the image of God, and the decisions we make in this life are going to affect where we spend eternity. That's question three. But in both scenarios, the answers to question one, where we came from, think about it, will always determine your answers to questions two and three. Hmm. So creation evolution issue uh, is foundational to developing our worldview. And it's fair to say that they call them the three big questions because anybody who can even think has had to consider those three questions. But number one is the key to answering the others. And so, you know, either we're created or we're evolved. And if we are evolved, hey, what's wrong with doing whatever you like, okay, which is, you know, people think they're the problems in the church, abortion, gay marriage, uh, you know, uh, racism, but they're symptoms of a foundational underlying problem. And that is humanism, which basically humanism at its core says, Evolution's true. There's no God. There's no creator. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that you that you did that, and 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 again, I love what you're doing because I think that you make it very accessible to people that that need the information that might not otherwise hear it. Uh, you 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 have an absolute knack for that, and uh, really, really, just it's a blessing to see that. Are there uh, any current books in the work right now, or 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 any any uh, other big works that you're working on that you want to tell people about? Uh, yeah, well, we're always producing uh, new material uh, because the evidence is coming at us so thick and fast. We've got a, a fantastic book uh, coming out of, uh, called Titans uh, of the Earth, Land and Sky. And this is basically about this alleged age of dinosaurs. So things like pterosaurs, pterodactyls, the marine reptiles that lived at the so-called age of the dinosaurs. Uh, there is so much evidence that refutes this kind of uh, millions of years dogma that's associated with them and and people are fascinated by dinosaurs i mean they're just um you know uh, amazed at the size of some of these massive creatures not only that but a lot of people don't know that in fact the very very large dinosaurs uh probably only account for about 10 percent of all the dinosaur kinds or species that ever was um the majority of them were only about the size of a small horse and some of them are even as small as a chicken. So there's lots of eye-opening wow. stuff there. Genetics is a very, very exciting area for creationists today um, because uh, we're in the genetics revolution and when we uh, look at uh, human genomes, we can see that they're decaying. They're decaying too rapidly for Homo sapiens even to exist you know, from an evolutionary point of view, even 200,000 years ago. Um, sequencing of the human genome has revealed, for example, that you and I carry Neanderthal DNA. And yet when I went to school, I was told that Neanderthals were these alleged, you know, ape slash human type creatures that were missing links. Uh, all the genetic evidence suggests that they were just a specific group of humans. Um, but we carry their DNA in our genes today. So lots and lots of exciting uh, evidence uh, like that. We can use the decaying human genome like a genetic clock. And guess what? It seems to fit the biblical time scale, 
particularly when you put in the model that the world's population was bottlenecked through eight people at the time of Noah, Noah and his wife, three sons, uh, three daughters-in-law, etc. So uh, you see the lifespans decay very, very rapidly after the flood, whereas prior to the flood, patriarchs lived for hundreds of years, uh, with the exception of Noah himself, who lived for 300 years after the flood. So the answer there is decaying lifespans, which again is again what we see today. Uh, our lifespans are not decaying, basically due to sanitation and modern medicine and ac ac access to great uh, good food. But our genomes are certainly uh, certainly uh, decaying. The mutational load uh, is increasing. And uh, unless the Lord comes in the future, uh, the human race is actually doomed because there's no way of removing these mutations through natural selection, etc. So I'll just open up a whole can of worms there. But again, people can go to creation.com and type in those subjects and see some uh, some lay articles or some very in-depth articles if they like. But all of this is the type of research we're producing in books and DVDs. And for the whole family too, we have a great range of children's subjects, which is why I mentioned the, the youth survey we did because unfortunately, particularly in the US, we have an epidemic in our churches of young ones leaving the church. And I simply believe it's because once they get to colleges, as I pointed out there, they're going to get bombarded with information that they're just not equipped to discern or to answer. And it makes a difference if we can equip them now. Mm. And I want to make sure people know where they can find your work. And I will link it down in the description, as I always do as well. Uh, uh, Creation.com is where you can find everything. I, I believe everything that Gary uh, has done and is working on. Is that right, Gary? Yeah, it's all there and all the books from uh, from all of my colleagues in the ministry. There's a web store there, but uh, search through, through the articles. You can go to the topics bottom in the site map. And if you're interested in aliens, you just click on topics. There's a whole section on aliens. There's a whole section on Egyptology, genetics, geology, zoology, and everything in between. And speaking of aliens, uh, the book, the movie is uh, Alien Intrusion, Unmasking and Deception. Uh, I know that you can find that on Amazon, and I would think, I'll, can you get it at creation.com as well? Yeah, you can buy the DVD and even stream it on creation.com. You can rent it there, yep. Awesome. And there is a book as well that came out before uh, the movie. What was the subtitle on that one again, Alien Intrusion? It's Alien Intrusion, UFOs, and the Evolution Connection. And uh, it's actually the only creation book ever to be an Amazon Top 50 bestseller. You mentioned about how to reach non-Christians, well, there's good evidence that that book's been able to do that. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Well, you've, you've clearly uh, found a bridge to reach those that are looking for answers uh, in a way that I think many people um, could really, they, they could really look at you as, as someone to, to mirror, because I think you have, like I said before, an absolute gift in reaching, in reaching that audience. So, so thankful for the work that you're doing. Uh, it's made a big impact on myself and I, and I, and I know countless other people. And I just want to say thank you again for your time and everything that you're doing. I, I really, really appreciate this. No problems, Alex. A pleasure. And uh, if we can be of help in the future, happy to do it again for you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that is it for the show this week, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, for rating and reviewing us on the podcast apps that you're on. And uh, thank you for donating to the podcast so we can continue to spread the truth if you feel so led to do so. A reminder to send your testimony to us, your uh, New Age to Christianity testimony, your Miracle Encounter, Miracle Healing uh, to Podcast at gmail.com. 
And I will be praying for you as always. And we'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.